0: In the stock market, we all want to do well, but for some investors, it's also important to do good.
1: Individuals want to feel that they're doing the right thing and they want to be able to say at a cocktail party that they're holding green assets. And institutions want to be able to tell potential clients that they are responsible. So from both individuals and institutions, I think we see demand for these green assets.
0: Welcome to The Pie. I'm your host, Tess Viglund. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day, seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're looking at socially responsible investing, sustainable investing, and whether green assets lead to more green dollars. Lubos Pastor is the Charles P. McQuaid Distinguished Service Professor of Finance at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. He and two co-authors studied what market participants expect in terms of returns on their green or sustainable investments versus so-called brown investments that don't incorporate the same principles. And it turns out that extreme climate events can have an impact on how and whether investors put a value on the sustainable bona fides of the companies or funds they choose to trust with their money. Lubos Pastor, welcome to The Pie. Oh,
1: great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So we're talking today about something called uh, sustainable investing, and I'm sure our listeners have heard of it, usually in reference to something called ESG. Can you talk briefly about what ESG is and kind of when it started to appear in the investment world lexicon? Yeah, so sustainable
1: investing in general is an approach to investing that has not only financial, but also non-financial objectives. And in the case of ESG investing, these non-financial objectives tend to fall under the umbrellas of E, environmental, S, social, and G, governance. And it's been around for a while in various incarnations, It uh, started out as socially responsible investing a few decades ago with people Mm -hmm. mostly screening out certain stocks like tobacco firms or weapons manufacturers. Um, And things have evolved over time. People's values have shifted over time. So right now at this moment, it's
0: ESG and kind of what's the point of this designation uh, how does it work do you say um so that a certain company is an ESG company do you say a certain stock is an ESG stock like where does how does that play out yeah so i don't say anything but
1: there are <laughs> ESG rating agencies that uh, make determinations about which which firms are responsible and which are not and of course you see immediately that it's a uh, you know it's uh, it's a little tricky <laughs> Or some some people to decide who's responsible and who isn't. Hmm. But um, yeah, the, the broad idea is to is to give credit to firms that uh, do more than just make money. Uh, the idea is that some firms have positive externalities, we would say, or spillovers, spillovers for society. Other firms have negative spillovers. And you want to reward the former and um, not the latter.
0: Can you give us an example of those spillovers?
1: What, is that, what does that look like? Sure. So a positive spillover would come from a firm that, for example, develops a COVID vaccine, right? So mm. uh, companies like Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer, they, they've truly made some money on COVID vaccines, but uh, they also had a gigantic spillover, positive spillover effect on, on our society uh, that they did not capitalize on. Or companies that uh, develop new technologies, new renewable technologies, Um Negative spillovers would come from firms that that pollute. So like an oil company. You can come up with many examples, but pollution is the simplest. Imagine a firm that's dumping stuff in the river and doesn't pay for it. So that would be a negative externality.
0: Okay. And how has this class of investing done over the years? Has it been successful?
1: ESG is a recent phenomenon. We cannot go very far back. Uh, in analyzing its performance. In the US, it's been around for maybe a little over a decade. It had existed previously, but it really picked up about a decade ago. And over the past decade, it has actually performed very well. So in the 2010s, green investments performed, uh, performed very well, better than the market overall.
0: By how much? Is it possible to say?
1: It depends on whose classification of green you take. Uh... But uh, if you look at so, in one of my studies, I looked at this, and we um, we compared the performance of you know MSCI designated green stocks and and brown stocks, and um, the difference was substantial, something like uh, on the order of seven percent a year.
0: All right. So, what did you set out to measure in your research, and why did you think this was an important path to go down?
1: Well, the, the question that my co-authors Rob Stambaugh, Luke Taylor, and I asked was how should we expect green investments to perform relative to brown investments? And we addressed that question in two separate studies. And in both studies, we find that green investments um, should have lower expected returns than brown investments. And why? Well, there are two reasons. One has to do with tastes and one with risk. So green assets, imagine a green stock, stock of a green company, like a solar company. Green assets are desirable to hold. People love holding green assets. They derive utility, uh, pleasure from holding green assets. So in equilibrium, when supply meets demand, green assets are going to command higher prices. So holding this cash flow stream constant, if you pay more for a given asset, you expect to earn a lower return going forward. Mm. So that's the the taste channel. And then there's a separate risk channel, which is that uh, green assets are a good hedge against climate risk. So when we get negative climate shocks, green assets tend to outperform brown. That makes them a good hedge. That makes people willing to pay more for these assets. So flipping this around, if you will, brown assets have to offer higher expected returns for two reasons. One has to do with tastes, one with risk. Brown assets have to offer higher expected returns to compensate investors for the fact that you know, they are brown, they they stink, loosely speaking, <laughs> and also for the fact that they are more exposed to climate risk. So just like finance 101, riskier assets have to offer higher expected returns to compensate in the same way brown assets have to compensate.
0: So can you talk us through why investors are willing to pay for ESG, even if they think that there is going to be less of a return for them. Is it simply kind of that, that feel good feeling that they, they, they feel, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Warm blow? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that, that they they just, they feel good about what they're doing for the environment, for the planet.
1: Yeah. Well, there could be multiple reasons and there are multiple reasons why investors invest in ESG. I, I believe that this this warm glow feeling is the main reason. Investors simply love holding green assets. So individuals want to feel that they're doing the right thing and they want to be able to say at a cocktail party that they're holding green assets. Hmm. And institutions want to be able to, to tell potential clients that they are responsible. So from both individuals and institutions, I think we see demand for these uh, green, green assets. There is also a potential second reason, which is that you actually want to make the world a better place. <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm saying potential because any individual investor is, is small. So I cannot possibly believe that my, my modest investment is actually going to make the world a better place. So I actually think that the more likely reason is that if I do that, I feel good about having contributed to something that I find desirable.
0: So basically, investors who believe in these ESG principles are willing to make less on their investments if it means they're doing good for the planet. But you find that in large part, they don't have to, leading to what you call an investor surplus. Can you explain that for us?
1: Yeah. So in our theoretical study, we find that investors don't have to give up as much return as they're willing to. That's what the investor surplus really, really means. So let me give you an example Suppose you you care about the planet and you have your favorite portfolio that you want to hold. And then I ask you, well, would you like to hold the market index instead? And you'll say, no, no, no. I want to hold my favorite portfolio. And then I ask you, okay, how much return would you be willing to give up in order to hold your favorite portfolio instead of the market index? Okay. And you'll think about it and you'll say, let's say 2%, 2% a year. hmm so if that's the case, if you're willing to give up 2% a year, it turns out in equilibrium, uh, you don't have to give up that much because effectively, if there are other people like you out there, they're going to move market prices. Their green demands are going to move market prices. And so the market portfolio itself is going to move closer to your desired portfolio. And you end up giving up less, let's say 1% uh, instead of 2
0: So then walk us through how all of this is affected by climate events, climate shocks. Um, First of all, what is a climate shock? And what does that do to demand for green versus brown investing?
1: Yeah, so in in our second paper on this topic, in our empirical study... We took somebody else's index of climate shocks. In particular, there's a nice study by four authors. Here's what they did. They essentially took eight major U.S. newspapers, and they've counted the number of articles in those newspapers that talk about climate change. And these articles talk about climate change in a negative way, and they emphasize risk. Okay, So they are effectively trying to capture the extent of climate concerns as reflected in the media. And then we constructed surprises in their index. And we found that on days when climate concerns go up, green stocks tend to outperform brown. Hmm. So effectively, green stocks are a better hedge against bad climate news than than brown stocks are.
0: And and a climate shock, an example of that would be what? Like a massive wildfire or a flood somewhere? It
1: would be an increase in the climate concern index. So there would be more articles in the press talking about climate in a negative way. So yes, a wildfire is a good example. A melting iceberg would be a good example. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so then if a climate event, a a rise in interest in that, then leads to a demand for green investment, how does that affect expectations of that green investment's performance? Does it change it at all?
1: Well, so suppose that, climate concerns strengthen unexpectedly. Okay, we get some bad news about climate and people all of a sudden feel, oh my goodness, you know, I should be holding greener assets. If that happens, then green assets prices will go up because demand for green assets will have suddenly increased. But going forward, expected return on green assets should be lower. If, if the asset price goes up, uh, holding cash flow is constant, expected future return is lower. What could change, however, in addition, is expectations of future cash flow. So we get bad climate news and investors want to hold uh, greener assets. Another potential channel through which climate shocks affect prices is is what we call the customer channel. So a bad climate shock could induce some customers to want to shift towards greener products. Maybe maybe they'll ditch their current car and, and replace it with an electric car. That is also good news for green firms and, and bad for brown. Um, and this, the second type of news, doesn't necessarily reduce the expected returns of of green firms. This, you know, if customers want to buy more green products, green stock prices will go up uh, without a reduction in expected future return. But if investors want to move towards green assets without any change in in future cash flows, then you'll see green stock prices going up and green expected returns going down at the same time.
0: And what about when the opposite happens? If we have some sort of energy-related shock, um, does that then presumably benefit brown investments? Well, yes, in general. So for example, last year, that is precisely
1: what happened after Russia um, invaded Ukraine. We had a, a major energy shock and we we indeed saw brown firms or firms that are often designated as brown by ESG rating agencies uh, performing better than than green firms. So people Came to realize we actually need energy. We're not, we're not ready to get all of our um, or to meet all of our energy needs from from renewables. Wind and solar. Yeah, wind and, and solar yeah. is increasingly important, but it's it's far from being sufficient um, at at this point. So oil firms uh, benefited enormously from the shift in tastes um, uh, that, that happened last year.
0: So your research has essentially shown this kind of investor surplus, um, but. If ESG investments are doing so well right now, isn't there a point at which they they probably won't keep doing as well?
1: Yeah. So um we show in our work that in the previous decade, in the 2010s, green assets performed very well. They outperformed brown assets. But we also show that going forward, the expected return on green assets is likely to be lower. And specifically, we show that if you take the actual realized returns from the 2010s, the returns that actually happened, and you subtract from them the surprise component, the component that is due to investors' tastes shifting towards green assets.
0: When there are events like wildfires. Yeah, exactly. Sort of
1: so th- then you end up with lower uh, returns on green. So so it, it essentially our, our narrative is that At the beginning of the decade, 2010s, investors expected lower returns on green assets, uh, but then they kept getting this series of bad climate shocks uh, during the decade. And as a result of those bad climate shocks, investors' tastes have shifted towards greener assets, and that propelled greener asset prices up that caused green assets to outperform brown. But it's essentially coming at the expense of of, of future uh, returns, because if asset prices go up, but uh, future cash flows don't go up sufficiently, then expected future returns have, have have dropped.
0: So, kind of a warning to ESG investors that the party can't last forever. Well, the party kind of ended
1: at the end of uh, 2010, because 2021 and 2022 um, have not been so great for, for ESG investing. Um, in both years, uh, brown, brown stocks outperformed green. And last year wasn't great either um, as a result of the war in Ukraine, right? All stocks have done really well. So in the long run, we can't really expect continuing to get bad climate news, right? News by definition is something surprising something unexpected so that we we all know so so
0: if we get used to climate change we're not going to be surprised when these things yeah
1: exactly so you and i know and all of our listeners know that our economy is transitioning towards a greener economy we are transitioning from dirty energy to clean energy we all know that and because we know it it's already embedded in market prices today Mm. So the only thing that can make green assets outperform going forward is if we continue getting bad climate news. So for example, if we expect 30% growth in the electric vehicle market, I just made up the number. If the number turns out to be 35, then green assets could very well outperform Brown. But if it turns out to be 25 25% growth, which would still be very fast growth, that would be disappointing relative to expectations and that would cause uh, green stocks to underperform Brown. So- um, it's all about how, how the future turns out to be relative to our expectations.
0: So let's talk about the effect of all this on corporate behavior. What does it mean for companies that either want to boost their ESG bona fides or for companies who might not care about ESG at all, but definitely care about their bottom lines? Um, and what happens if they ignore this kind of research?
1: So our research shows that If investors have tastes for green assets, and surely some investors do, then it pays for companies to become greener. So in particular, even if you're a manager who only cares about maximizing market value, okay? A Milton Friedman-like manager, you wanna maximize profits, maximize market value, even then it's in your interest to make your company greener. Why? Because greener firms command higher market prices. Right? If investors are willing to pay more for green firms, then making your firm greener is the way to maximize the market value of your company. So at least to some extent, firms have an incentive to, to become greener.
0: When you look out on the investing world's future, what do you think this research says about the ongoing viability of ESG or green investing and kind of its wider effects on the market? Um, you you talk about a greenium, a green premium. Do you think it has staying power?
1: I think it does, but there's more than one greenium. You know, greenium is, um, well, let me define the term first. So in the, in the bond space, you have green bonds and you have regular bonds. And these bonds sell at different prices. So they have different yields. And a greenium is the dif- difference between the yield on a green bond and a, and a regular bond. In our work, we also define the the equity greenium as the difference between the expected returns of green firms and and brown firms. And I believe that both types of green are here to stay. Um, In fact, they could very well get stronger if investors' tastes for green assets get stronger. But um, the definition of greenness itself, I think, is likely to evolve over time. Because not everyone agrees on which firms are responsible and and which are not. And our views on that continue changing.
0: Is it possible uh, to say how much difference ESG investing makes in the overall effort to thwart climate change? Um, In other words, how much power do investors really have here?
1: I think it's easy to overstate the amount of power that investors have. After all, ESG investing is still relatively young. And it, it it's mostly present in the West. And the West as a whole is a small part of the world. The West has maybe a billion people out of 8 billion people. And most of the growth, future growth in carbon emissions, for example, is outside the Western world. So there's only so much ESG can do. Um, certainly, we need governments to, to step in and, and regulate. We need governments to try to regulate away irresponsible behavior and try to subsidize responsible behavior. Nonetheless, I think that ESG is one of many things that our society can do um, in order to you know, battle with some, some key, key problems, such as climate change.
0: That said, there has been some talk uh, in the political sphere, a backlash, really, to what the right is calling woke capitalism. And ESG is a big part of that. Um, There was an effort earlier this year to change a Labor Department rule that lets retirement fund managers consider green factors in their investment decisions. I'm curious how, if at all, your research might enlighten that debate.
1: There's only so much that I can say about that, because in our research, we start with the premise uh, that some firms are greener than others. And we take it as given that that people agree on which firms are green and which are not. In reality, uh, in some cases, people agree, but in others, people don't. And that is the source of the backlash. Um, it, it's politically uh, motivated. But it, and there's no doubt that On average, ESG metrics, kind of standard ESG metrics are closer to the values of the Democratic Party than to the values of the Republican Party. Um, There's research on this. It's not my research. Um, uh, Professor Leonard Kostovetsky, for example, has a couple of papers showing that firms tend to earn higher ESG scores when they have uh, Democratic rather than Republican founders, CEOs, or directors. He also shows in a different paper uh, with a different co-author that mutual fund managers who make and paying donations to Democrats, uh, hold less of their portfolios in irresponsible firms. You know, and, and also, <laughs> SRI funds are more likely to be managed by Democratic managers. There's clearly a link between ESG and the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, uh, we live in a very polarized society right now where half the people have Democratic Party's values, half the people have Republican Party's values, and they're getting further apart. So I think, uh, you know, the future of ESG is likely to depend on the extent to which it's able to navigate this, this, this polarization. And on top of that, you have the issue of greenwashing, um, uh, companies presenting themselves as greener than they really are. And how we deal with that is also going to play a role in the extent to which ESG can grow In Europe, for example, they recently introduced new regulations, new disclosure requirements that imply that you can no longer declare that your fund is green without being able to back it up. And as a result, we have seen a significant reduction in ESG assets under management in Europe. Companies have reclassified certain funds from green to to regular funds because they want to be on the safe side. This is likely to come to the U.S., um, assuming the SEC gets its way, introducing new disclosure requirements. But we'll see. Um, so I think you know the future of ESG depends on the extent to which it's going to allow people to invest in line with their values. And I think it makes sense to allow us to invest in line with our values. Um, but these values can be varied. It's it's not just about environment. It's not just about certain aspects of social. It could be anything, it could be religion. Uh, people have different values, and as a society we're becoming wealthier, and so people are willing to invest in, even give up some return in order to invest in ways that that reflect their values.
0: Lubos Pastor, thank you so much. Really interesting, appreciate it.
1: Thank you, it was a pleasure.
0: The Pie is a production of the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. And, of course, you can subscribe to The Pie on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.